Coming up on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, we break down the journal's news story on the future of the cable bundle. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm media editor Amol Sharma. I'm joined uh, by media reporter Shalini Ramachandran today. Hey, what's up, Shalini? How's it going? And uh, our group's deputy editor, Sarah Rabel. Who I th- is this your debut on the podcast? It is. First time. Happy to be here. And Sarah um, was able to get out of bed today because the Tar Heels won. And Duke lost. And oh. <laughs> They eked it out, though. That, I think that was a charge. I think that was. I, I disagree. We can talk about it later. <laughs> okay, I'll take that offline. Um, so we're excited to talk to you today about uh, the future of the cable bundle. We're going to come at you about a big story um, that we have online that just published today about um, small channels in the cable bundle and the future of cable, really. But it's about how small channels are starting to die off, and the essential point is there's a. This is a really interesting moment. Uh, in cable where things are changing that never looked like they were going to change. So Shalini, who was the lead author on that story, uh, is going to take us through that. And, um, you know, Shalini, why don't you kick it off and just get our listeners up to speed on what are the small channels that are that are going to go away or are going away and and why is that important? So the ones that, that you've never heard of that will be going away are Esquire and Clue, um, both of which are owned by NBC Universal, and uh, they, they're going to be shutting down. Clue is already shut down. Esquire is shutting down soon. But there are several channels that we saw in our analysis have a relatively high cost compared to how many people actually tune in to watch. And that means that they are not, um, they're, they're overpaid and may not be a very good bargain for both the cable companies or us. As consumers, what was on Esquire and Clue for the for the people who are um, media mix listeners who aren't huge fans of those channels? <laughs> well, Clue was a, a crime focused network, and now NBC Universal is trying to change Oxygen, which people may have heard of, from a sort of female focused one to more of something that's about crime. And Esquire had some male-focused content, but I have to say I never watched it, so I can't help you with which shows are on. <laughs> so there, I mean, how many data points do we have now of actual networks shutting down versus kind of just ominous notes that that might be coming? So those two are the the biggest uh, sort of harbingers of change, but others are like Pivot is like a, a smaller independent network that shut down. And we also, from our reporting, um, know that MTV Classic and NBC Universal Chiller, those are also others that could be on the block. Uh, and there's some more that as these media companies realize they have to shift investment away to the bigger networks, some of these other ones that you may not have heard of, like American Heroes Channel and others, those could be the, the ones that down the line you won't see anymore on the cable dial. But Shalini, one thing I was super interested in your analysis is that some of these channels you may have thought were going to go away a long time ago because people weren't watching them. People have never heard about them. But why did they last this long? Like, what changed all of a sudden? Some of these just make so much money. It's yeah. incredible. Um, we had some numbers, like, you wouldn't even believe how much TV land makes per year. It's something like, a, it has a cash flow of some over $200 million. And so these some of these networks, they just, they run on these reruns that, that these media companies have, and they're able to sort of amortize the, the costs that they have to spend to buy that programming across all these tinier channels, and they don't have much staffing. So they don't have a lot of overhead. And once you have all these profitable networks, it's hard to say, well, let's, let's chop that one off. What's, well, what has changed um, 
Sarah, I mean, what's uh, your you framed the question nicely, but so what's changed now that um, this is happening now and didn't happen a couple of years ago? I mean, from my perspective, is if you look back at what started this all, you know, early 90s, is you had broadcasters that were free over the air, finally wanting to get paid by cable operators. Cable operators didn't want to do that. So they said, no, 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 like, just make some more cable channels for us and we'll be okay with it. So that kind of gave birth to this huge increase in the bundle, right, Shalini? I mean, how many channels are there that an average subscriber gets now? Is it almost 200? Yeah, of Corey and Nielsen, about 200. Right. And there, and people are only watching about 15 of them. And so there was this leverage built in for a really long time. But now all of a sudden you have all these other options for watching TV. Like I know personally, like I was watching basketball on Sling TV over the weekend. I wasn't going to a main cable operator. I had a skinny bundle or, uh, you know, streaming online. And I think that's what's suddenly starting to change things, right? Yeah. I mean, there was it. It seems that there was this expectation from both programmers and the cable operators that you could just keep increasing the end price point for a customer <laughs> indefinitely and therefore more it could sustain more and more channels and some packages could have even you know could have 400 channels or whatever um, and eventually we got to this point where it's that's break we're at the breaking point and skinny bundles are coming out and everyone's you know the price has reached its you know maximum elasticity or whatever whatever you want to call it so now we're here. The bundle is finally starting to shrink. It's almost crazy. It feels like we've been talking about this behind the scenes in, uh, you know, media reporters for like for, years, for years, right? And it's like, now nah, it's never really going to happen. It's sort of this mythical thing that a network would ever shut down, but it's like, dude, it's like actually happening. Now it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also the the other part of this is that distributors like the the dishes and Comcast of the world when they're in negotiations with the big media companies now they they're saying that we're starting to to have a common ground which is hey let's kill off these smaller channels and before that wasn't even something that the media companies would have considered acquiescing to but now because they would like to put more on their bigger brand they they're less interested and invested in keeping those guys on and also the cable companies have another consideration which is they, their biggest product is largely becoming internet and for them taking up channel space with these tinier networks they'd rather you know give you 100 megabits per second than than give you esquire mm-hmm. but this transition is not as easy as oh just hey distributor just give me all the money that i used to get for clue or or whatever other small channel and just just put that money into my bigger channels, like that's obviously not going to be the way the negotiations go. Right. And so there's these other trade-offs. So they, the distributors might ask, hey, we want streaming rights. We want to build a streaming package. So give us more rights on your bigger networks. And, and I guess we'll pay you more money for a, a, a smaller quantity of stuff. Right. I mean, it's, it's getting back to the history. It's, it seems like one has to step back and just realize that this mo- business model of of cable, especially for the channels that were mid size and small channels, is is something that we we just may not see again in media ever. And that some of the numbers in your reporting, and I encourage people listening to check out um, Shalini's story as well as the data and visual um, uh, sidebar component to it online, which really goes into detail on how we've ranked networks according to. Um, you know how much they cost per an actual viewer who watches it. Um, that what what jumps out is that there are channels that they were so low cost to run. It's like a couple people can staff it, 
They would get some reruns. Um, that worked really nicely. Lots of people watched old episodes of, you know, not just the biggest hits, but just like anything that they would find on TV, old shows, new shows, whatever. And you'd sell ads against that, and you'd get you'd get some money, a tiny slice of the cable bill every month, and that was really profitable. And now it's like Netflix has taken away uh, the rerun market because people go to Netflix and Amazon for reruns or Hulu. And it's the entire thing, just the, all the underpinnings of it are collapsing where those things now, I mean, they still are very low cost to run, but that's that was a sweet deal, I mean, right. for a long time, it feels like. Well, and you got to think that some of these small channels would have gone away a long time ago if they were negotiating individually. If it was each channel having to negotiate each distribution deal with a cable or satellite provider, that would be a big difference. But these were massive media companies negotiating all of their channels all together. It was take it all or leave it. And, you know, a cable or satellite provider up until now couldn't really afford to say, no, we're willing to walk away from the whole thing if you don't just let us pick and choose what we want. Right. I mean, it was kind of amazing that Sony View, which is a newer distributor, decided to drop all of Viacom's channels um, late last year. That kind of thing was not something that you saw happening even like four or five years ago. Cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more on the WSJ Media Mix podcast. High inflation has impacted many of us. But what happens when prices go up 55, 67, or even 276%? It makes living more costly. It eats into your paycheck. At the end of the day, the salary itself, it's not enough. And money quickly loses value. You can't see if you can't do anything. Check out our complete series on extreme world inflation from A to Z, from What's News, plus other exclusive content on WSJ Special Access, only for WSJ subscribers. Need to check in on Wall Street? Listen to Heard on the Street and stay one step ahead of the headlines, only on WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. All right, so Shalini, I wanted to... um, go a little deeper on how we arrived at our thinking of our sort of methodology in this whole project of figuring out which networks pull their weight in the cable bundle. It was sort of tricky. It's not obvious how to approach that. Just sort of give some highlights of how you went through that. Okay. So top line, these channels pull in fees from our from slices of our cable bills. And so they, based on what we pay our cable company, they get some small amount of that. And then that times all of the households that they reach, which are the households that actually pay for a package where that channel appears, and multiplied by 12 months a year, you get like what they call their affiliate revenue, their, subscri- their fees from cables bills. In other words, the money they earn from uh, carriage fees is is whatever the rate is they charge times all the bills of in all the households that that get that get that channel. Right. Okay. And then that we di- we divided that number by average primetime household viewership. And that's how many households on average were tuning in at any given minute during primetime over the the course of this past season which started in September. And we use that metric because um, we could we could have gone with many many different metrics. Actually, there are a lot of ways to slice viewership. You could go with how many people on average are tuning in over the total day. Um, but for most networks, they tend to to program for prime time, so this sort of gives them the most the the best number that they could possibly look at. So in the end, 
what's the upshot of that analysis? I mean, what are people um, what do people get when they look at that? What what should their takeaway be when they look at our online interactive and the and uh, and the conclusion? It, it get, I mean, you're basically figuring out right that that uh, a lot of households are kind of subsidizing channels that they don't watch. Right, and so they, there's basically when you when you divide that cost that that I guess you could call it the cost that all of those channels that each of those channels. Um, uh, I guess bring in from these cable bills. When you divide that by this average viewership number, you get this this idea of a ratio of which channels tend to be overpaid relative to their viewership compared to which ones are relatively weaker. Um, and so that kind of gives you a sense of which ones in the cable bundle may be overpaid versus underpaid. And we saw some, like Hallmark, which tend to be a bargain because they are actually relatively underpaid in this analysis, even though they have a relatively larger um, average household viewership. This is a very sophisticated, complex analysis, and it can be hard to explain. But one of the things that fascinated me the most is we've not been able to put numbers behind this for a long time. Like we mentioned earlier, we've been talking about the cable bundle and the cost of channels for I mean, years. The whole time I've been a media reporter or editor, we've talked about that. But you finally were able to kind of put together enough data points to really show which channels are pulling their weight and which aren't. And it and it starts to essentially highlight the channels that are vulnerable in this environment, right? Right. And these are the channels that are getting a relatively low viewership, whereas their ratio of cost to viewers tends to be higher. So Esquire falls into that category, and Esquire is shutting down. Of course, a lot of people listening and just people who pay a, a cable bill every month are wondering, when does, it, when does this happen to the next wave of networks that are slightly bigger? How far away are we from these ratios looking bad, even for better-known networks? Well, some of the ratios already look bad for better <laughs> networks. Well, like for for instance, so ESPN is is pretty has a pretty high cost relative to its viewership. Yet it does have it does bring in a large number of viewers uh, in prime time. So you could argue that well, even if they have a relatively high cost, you know they're they're the most expensive channel in the bundle, they still at least bring in a lot of viewers. Whereas some of these other channels that we looked at in our analysis, like for instance, we we saw um, Fox Sports Two kind of headed up that whole list. That has a very small viewership, yet a very high cost relative to its viewership. Uh, that ratio is very high. And one thing these numbers can't really show, though, it's not just about the total number of viewers sometimes, right? It's about how passionate those viewers are. Um, I'm guessing that I care a lot more about making sure I can see every Carolina basketball game than a clue viewer cared about making sure they got their programming in prime time. I'm just going to guess that that's a point that it's it's not something you can capture in the numbers, but it's hard to discount, too. What, what do you think the, the, um, the major events are that could affect how quickly networks decline? Like, is it just their... Because remember, they only negotiate their deals with cable companies every couple of years. But on the other hand, there are these new internet bundles coming out that may or may not include every... Actually, they intentionally don't include every channel. So could that have a real impact on media companies being like, eh, this, this channel has been out of the last four bundles. Maybe we have to, like, phase it out. Or whatever. I think so. I mean, I think all the channels are starting to to look at 
which channel is is not worth fighting for anymore. And you've also seen how these media companies are starting to invest in other digital media assets like NBC Universal and BuzzFeed and Vox and Sna- and putting in money into Snapchat. So they they're all starting to to weigh which which channels aren't worth fighting for. And at this point it's really the lowest tier, the the networks you really haven't ever heard of. But then there's a kind of mid-tier of networks where, you know, some pockets of America may actually find them very interesting and valuable. Like TV Land is one of those networks um that Viacom has, which, you know, maybe a New York LA audience isn't super passionate about, but it it does, you know, fairly well in other pockets of the country. It used to be just like all I Love Lucy and like old school reruns. Roseanne right? reruns. Right. Um, but now they're, they've, they're one of these people that have made original. I, I sadly can't name. I know the Viacom people will yell at me, but I, I can't name the original programming off the top of my head. But they have invested in some shows, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, the other ones, um, like th- there's VH1, which has had like all this reality stuff. And none, of, neither of these are in the core six networks that Viacom says it wants to focus on. But you, you'd have to think that. You know, at some point they might think, well, is it better to put this all in one reality-focused streaming service rather than, you know, continue to have these networks out there? And in some ways, we're starting to see this with Time Warner. They they recently created this um, kids-focused animation streaming service, and Boomerang is one of the smaller channels that um, has ha- had you know huge declines over, year over year. And so you you might start seeing some of this, this happen, and then once they play with that streaming service. If the linear network isn't worth keeping, they'll cut it off. So, what's like some of the options for for networks or for their for their com- the companies that own them? If they know those that channel is on a course to die off, but it's not going to die off right away, what are their options? What do they do with the asset in the short term? I mean, it seems like they can milk it for a pretty good while, right? I mean, you're talking about the cash flow and the margins being incredible for these channels. So they can keep it going with a relatively like skeleton staff for a lot of them until they get to the point where their negotiation is up for renewal, perhaps. Because that's what we saw with NBC, right? They were making that decision as a lot of their deals were up for renewal and they were getting a lot of pushback. Right. I mean, and I think that you'll see, start seeing all these cable companies tier put put into more expensive packages some of the smaller networks. And as that happens, their distribution will decline, and eventually, it's not worth continuing to run it. And we've seen uh, in some cases in Esquire, they're they're trying to see if there's some sort of digital business around it, right? I, I'm a right. little skeptical of because you have to make a decision to then keep investing, whether it's digital or on cable, to make it good. And then there's also this notion maybe they're these are really aren't channels. They're kind of like studios that make shows aimed at a certain type of person or audience and that those could feed into the bigger networks, right? Those are some of the things that we've... Some of the ideas out there, yeah, that they could just continue to help feed the sister networks. I had one other um, thing I wanted to point out, and it had to do with when I was looking back. We were really in the weeds on this data for a lot of weeks, just making sure we really analyzed it closely. But the problem for me was when I stepped back and looked at it today and I saw those data points, I was so frustrated I couldn't pick and choose which channels I get. I was incredibly frustrated. I was like, I want ESPN. I want my broadcast networks. I want some HGTV. But I don't want you to bundle it for me. I want to pick and choose what I want. Yet we're still not in this a la carte world. Yeah, a la carte has been uh, – is, is, that's another myth that it's ever going to happen. <laughs> We've been looking for it for years. Um, well, guys, thanks. This is awesome. We're going to wrap it up there. 
listeners, if you haven't already, definitely check out Jalani's um, story, which is co-byline with Keech Hagee, uh, as well as the extensive package of visuals that we have in data analysis online at WSJ.com. And we will catch you next time on the WSJ Media Mix podcast. For more podcasts, check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices.